Welcome to Vincent Price's spooky podcast episode. Tonight we will be featuring a number of terrifying tales where you shall be scared witless. Enjoy. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is, that I am lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their destinations, like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am without a little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine. Considering his confined to a dark room in an institution, I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course, they did at first. Charlie has been back home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time without fail, it all starts again. Their neighborhood cats with gouged out eyes showing up into his toy chest. My dad's razors found dropped on the baby in the parked car across the street. Mom's vitamins replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparringly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normality, and to trick the doctors who care for him into thinking he is ready for rehabilitation. That I would just have to put up with boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. It makes me have to pretend to be good until he's back. Well, wasn't that a scary story? Next one. Guardians. He awoke the huge insect-like creatures looming over his bed and screamed his lungs out. They hastily left the room and he stayed up all night shaking and wondering if it had been all a dream. The next morning, there was a tap on the door. Gathering his courage, he opened He opened it to see one of them gently place a plate filled with fried breakfast on the floor, then retreat to a safe distance. Bewildered, he accepted the gift. The creatures chittered excitedly. This happens every day for weeks. At first he was worried they were fattening him up, but after a particularly greasy breakfast left him clutching his chest from heartburn, they were replaced with a fresh fruit. As well as cooking, they poured hot, steamy baths for him and even tucked him in when he went to bed. It was bizarre. One night, he awoke to gunshots and screaming. He raced downstairs to find a decapitated burglar being devoured by insects. He was sickened, but disposed of the remains as best he could. He knew they had just been protecting him. One morning, the creatures wouldn't let him leave his room. He lay down, confused but trusting as they ushered him back into bed. Whatever their motives, they weren't going to hurt him. Hours later, a burning pain 
spread throughout his body. It felt like his stomach was filled with razor wire. The insect chittered as he spasmed and moaned. It was only when he felt a terrible squirming feeling beneath his skin that he realised the insects hadn't been protecting him. They had been protecting their young. It has been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I understand the sentiment behind the saying, but it's wrong. I entered the building on a bet. I was strapped for cash and didn't buy into the old legends of the hotel to begin with. So 50 bucks was more than enough to get me to do it. It was simple, just reach the top floor the 45th floor, shine my flashlight from a window, and that was it. The hotel was old and broken, including the elevator. So, that meant hiking up the stairs. So, up the stairs I went. As I reached each platform, I noted the old brass plaques displaying the floor numbers. 15, 16, 17, 18. I felt a little tired as I crept higher. But so far, no ghosts, no cannibals, no demons. Piece of cake. I can't tell you how happy I was as I entered the last stretch of numbers. I joyfully counted them. Aloud this time. Each platform. 40. 41. 41. 42. 43. 44. 44. I stopped and looked back down the stairs. I must have miscounted. So I continued up. 44. One more flight. 44. And then down 10 flights. 44. 15 flights. Still. 44. And so it's been for as long as I can remember. So, really. Insanity isn't doing something repeatedly and expecting different results. It's knowing that the results will never change. That each door leads to the same that each door leads to the same staircase. It's knowing the results will never change. That each door leads to the same staircase to the same number. It's realizing you no longer fall asleep. It's knowing whether you've been running for days or weeks or years. It's not knowing whether you've been running for days or weeks or years. It's when the slobbing, it's when the sobbing slowly turns into laughter. It's when the sobbing and crying slowly turns into laughter. My daughter woke me around 11.50 last night. My wife and I had picked her up from her friend, Sally's birthday party, brought her home and put her to bed. My wife went into the bedroom while I fell asleep watching the Braves game. Dad, she whispered, tugging my shirt sleeve. Guess how old I'm going to be next month. I don't know, sweetheart, I said as I slipped on my glasses.
How old? She smiled and held up four fingers. It is 7.30 now. My wife and I have been up with her for almost eight hours. She still refuses to tell us where she got them. He had been given the watch on his 10th birthday. It was an ordinary grey plastic wrist watch. It was an ordinary grey plastic wrist watch. In every respect except for the fact that I was counting down. In every respect except for the fact it was counting down. That is all of the time you have left in the world, son. Use it wisely. And indeed he did. As the watch ticked away, the boy, now a man, lived life to the fullest. He climbed mountains and swam oceans. He talked and laughed and lived and loved. The man was never afraid, for he knew exactly how much time he had. Eventually, the watch began its final countdown. The old man stood looking over everything he had done. Everything he had built. Five. He shook hands with his old business partners, the man who had long been his friend and confidant. Four. His dog came and licked his hand, earning a pat on the head for its companionship. Three. He hugged his son, knowing that he had been a good father. Two. He kissed his wife on the forehead one last time. One. The old man smiled and closed his eyes. Then, nothing happened. The watch beeped and turned off. The man stood, standing there, very much alive. You would think that, in that moment, he would have been overjoyed. Instead, for the first time in his life, the man was scared. When my sister Betsy and I were kids, our family lived for a while in a charming old farmhouse. We loved exploring its dusty corners and climbing the apple tree. But our favourite thing was the ghost. We called her mom because she seemed so kind and nurturing. Some morning, Betsy and I would wake up and on each of our nightstands we'd find a cup that hadn't been there the night before. Mom had left them there, worried that we'd get thirsty during the night. She just wanted to take care of us. Among the house's original furnishings was uh, an antique wood chair, which we kept against the back wall of the living room. Whenever we were preoccupied watching TV or playing a game, Mom would inch that chair forward across the room, toward us. Sometimes she'd managed to move it all the way to the centre of the room. We always felt sad putting it back against the wall. Mom just wanted to be near us. Years later, long after we'd moved out, I found an old newspaper article about the farmhouse's original occupant, a widow. She'd murdered her two children 
by giving them each a cup of poisoned tea before bed. Then she hung herself. The article included a photo of the famous farmhouse's living room with a woman's body hanging from a beam. Beneath her, knocked over, was that old wooden chair placed exactly in the centre of the room. On Monday, I came up with the perfect plan. No one even knew we were friends. On Tuesday, he stole the gun from his dad. On Wednesday, we decided to make our move during the following day's pep rally. On Thursday, while the entire school was in the gym, we waited just outside the doors. I was to use the gun on whoever walked out first. Then, he would take the gun and go into the gym blasting. I walked up to Mr. Quinn, the guidance counsellor, and shot him three times. He fell back into the gym, dead. The shots were deafening. We heard screams in the auditorium. No one could see us. I handed him the gun and whispered, your turn. He ran to the gym and started firing. I followed a moment after. He hadn't hit anyone yet. Kids were scrambling and hiding. It was mayhem. I ran up behind him and tackled him. We struggled. I wrenched the gun out of his hands, turned it on him, and killed him. I closed his mouth forever. On Friday, I was anointed a hero. It was indeed the perfect plan. If God exists, why is there so much evil in the world? It's a common question, but it is misplaced. All things must have a balance. All things must have a balance. Light and dark, good and evil, sound and silence, without one, the other cannot exist. So if that's true, then God does nothing to fight evil. That might be your follow-up question. Of course he fights evil. Relentlessly. I'm a Dartalian. One of his most holy and righteous angels. I roam the earth. Disposing of evil wherever I find it. I kill the monsters you don't even want to know about. I crush them completely so you can sleep at night. You humans have no idea how many of you live because of the work I do. But what about the Stalins, Hitlers, Ted Bundy, Jack the Ripper? Well, those are the minor ones I had to let live for the balance. The ones I destroy are too horrible and vile to survive. What's funny is while I would wager you never... What's funny is while I would wager you never have heard the name D'Artalian in any religious texts, I bet you have heard of me. Americans, for example, have their own name for me. Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Oh, that was a grim one.